Welcome everyone to What's Your Story. Today I have an amazing guest. We have known each other for a little bit, actually more than two, three years right mm -hmm. now. And this is something I always wanted to do, but I was like, I gotta make sure we are ready. I gotta make sure I got the right camp, I got the right people. And we finally got it done. And I can't wait to hear his story because it's an amazing story. He's an, a great man of God who's doing great things. And I know you'll be blessed by this interview. So let me not hype him up too much. Let's jump into it. Welcome to the show, Pastor Nick Yakshik. That was really close. You got like really close. I there. did? Yeah, it's ah, okay. Yakshik. Yakshik. It's Serbian and okay. it's hard to say, so you're good. But yeah, Wait, thanks for having me. So. Are you like a Serbian descendant, obviously? Yep, Serbian um, on my... Uh, my dad's side, Serbian and German and a, a okay. bunch of other stuff. So. I, I, do you speak Serbian? Heck no, bro. Is that the no, I ain't got no skills there. So <laughs> it's, it's at zero. Zero. <laughs> I'm so bad. I know no other <laughs> language. I goofed off in Spanish the oh, whole time. I could tell. Bro, I, I didn't tell. do nothing but <laughs> make a mess of myself. So. <sighs> so anyway, so let's just jump right into it and hear your story because sure. I know you've accomplished so much at a young age because you believe you're the same age. Yep, I'm 30, 30, 30? years old. Oh, I'm 20. I'm about to be 30. So okay. Well, I mean, we'll call it the same. We'll call it, yeah. We'll it's not like when like my daughter's like seven and she has to distinguish that she's seven and a half, <laughs> just in case another seven-year-old tries to take like, the same claim. So. I'm seven and a half. So yeah, exactly. We make a huge deal out of that. No, uh, yeah, just 30 years old. But uh, okay. Yeah. And before we even go back to the beginning, sure. Uh, tell the people what you do right now. Yeah. So um, right now, I pastor a church. Uh, called the Jesus Church in Colorado Springs. Um, been pastoring that church for almost four years. Um, the whole thing has been going on for about four and a half uh, years now, though almost five. Because um, uh, I, I still count all the all the prep work and all the things there. The Lord is just yeah. bugging me about it beforehand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I pastor the Jesus Church out here. Um, I have a, a beautiful wife. I've um, been married for uh, almost nine years now. Mm. Got two kiddos, um, my daughter Lily and my son Jed. And uh, yeah, just living life, man. I'm loving it. So. Awesome. All right, so let's go at the beginning. Sure. Where are you from? It's always interesting. Everybody asks me that question, and I'm like, I don't really know how to answer it. Okay. Um, I was born in Seattle, Washington, but I actually grew up a majority of my life in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Um, so I lived like right on the Mississippi River, um, and uh, my uh, parents had purchased a house out there, and um, uh, my parents were youth pastors for a long time, and I'd lived, you know, before Minnesota, I lived in Des Moines, Iowa for a little bit, I lived in Hector, Minnesota, I lived in a lot of different places, but um, really landed in uh, St. Cloud, and in St. Cloud is where um, I kind of spent most of my childhood yeah. and grew up there, and um, you know, went through some hard family stuff. We ended up losing our house in the crash um, in 2006, I want to say. Uh, moved, uh, the whole family moved to Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. And so then I spent four years in Omaha, Nebraska, mm -hmm. where my whole family was and my extended family. And uh, that's where, that's where kind of like the second chapter of my life, uh, I would say, where it was a lot of in influential stuff happened during that time. And then I lived in Nashville while I was going to school. I started going to um, university out there and um, pursuing music business. And so 
and then I moved out here to Colorado Springs. So I'm kind of all over. But yeah, uh, yeah uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota is where I spent a lot of my okay. childhood. So you mentioned your parents were youth pastors. Yeah. Is that where the heart for ministry was born? No. I had okay. no desire to really? do ministry. So what did you want to do at the time? <laughs> I was like, no, I had zero desire to do ministry. Uh, I do come from a line of pastors, but I, I, I wanted so badly to break that, man. I wanted yeah. nothing to do with it. Um, you know, my grandfather, I, I never met him, but he was, uh, you know, he, he was a pastor and uh, he was, he was actually like a Serbian pastor. So oh. like he actually had like a Serbian church and all that stuff. And so his was, he, he was a little bit closer to that, but um, yeah, my grandfather was a pastor. My uh, father was a pastor and uh, they did youth ministry. So one thing I did grow up with, which was nice. I, you know, I grew up, um, I grew up at a, like a, uh, we used to do like a summer camp every year, ever since I was born, I believe, since like 1990. Well, they did, it started in 1991, I was born in 92, but they used to run like a summer camp. Um, and so I was there every single year and, you know, I went to church, you know, three times a week and all that kind of stuff. So I was there all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, just growing up, I just, I was, I kind of didn't like ministry because it took my parents away from me. And so I kind of resented it a little bit. And so I was like, well, I don't want to do anything with this. Like I don't, and I just saw the fakeness too. Like, you know, I just saw where people would be one way in front of you and then they'd be another way behind closed doors. Um, or I just saw just how mean some people were in the church. And I was like, ick, like, like we talk about how evil the world is and it's like, you're acting just as evil and I, I don't want anything to do with this. And so my heart just drifted away from it. And I had a, I had a, just a natural gift for music. Um, ever since I was six, I've been playing piano and I just, I would hear music in my head and I'd tell my dad, can't you hear that? Can't you hear that? And he'd be like, no, I can't hear anything. I'd be like, can you hear the angels? Like I would hear music, like full choirs singing. And like, it just, it was in my head. I could hear it all in my head. Um, and so I started, you know, I always was really good at music. So I kind of landed on, well, you know, maybe I'll just do music then you know I'd done stuff for worship teams and worship bands and you know I I I led my worship team um in high school uh but in that same breath I had been growing up with so much hypocrisy in my life that I before I knew it I was the hypocrite so here I am on stage leading people while behind the scenes I'm addicted to porn I'm sexting girls I have no self-control whatsoever in this space but yet I'm standing on stage and like leading people into worship and I just couldn't do it. And so I stepped down my senior year and I was like, I'm, I can't do this. Like this is garbage. And um, I was so depressed and anxious. And so I, um, I decided to go pursue music and well, I went to Nashville. I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> my thing was there's no music or there's no money in the Christian music industry <laughs> unless you're huge. Yeah, and right. I was like, I want to make money. Like, I don't want to be poor. Like, so right. I, I was like, I would rather get into, get into music and, and, um, make money doing that. And so, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't interested in the Christian yeah. music industry. So. so you go to Nashville yeah. majoring in music production. Yeah. Where was the change? Yeah, so that one's a little that one's a little nutty. So okay. when I was in when I was in college, I was really struggling with my faith. And not because I was nobody else was in my ear telling me like about another religion or about atheism or any of that stuff. It was just 
God wasn't real. Like he was just kind of like a concept or an idea. Okay. Like basically my, the Trinity I grew up with that I felt like I grew up with was God, the father, God, the son, God, the Bible, Holy Spirit was there, but like he was kind of just passive and all he did was help me get saved. That was it. But I was waiting for this day when I'm going to go to heaven and just, you know, that's it. And I didn't want to wait till then. I was like, life sucks now. Like, I don't really want to wait until I flitter off into the universe. I just, I, I, and I needed something tangible. And so I was really struggling with the concept of God actually being real and that this whole Jesus thing was legit. And so I was in my sophomore year of college. Um, it was February. I remember it was right before my birthday and I get a text message from, I think it was my parents. And they had asked me, would you come out and lead worship at this um, event? Um, you know, and, and I'd been flown out a few times to do stuff like that. And, and I still did music and, you know, did worship stuff. I just, again, I played the part. I mean, I didn't, I, you know, whatever. Um, and then they were like, you know, do you want to come out and do this event? And I was like, okay, what's the event? They're like, it's a healing event. Well, I was a cessationist. I mean, I was like, this doesn't, this isn't real. Like this doesn't happen. Wait, before you continue, you, are your parents cessationists? Is that something that you just... I think I just kind of developed it. Okay. Yeah, because like my parents, they call themselves charismatic Lutherans, which is oh. pretty accurate because mm -hmm. um, they believed in the working of the Holy Spirit still. And as a kid, I would pray for sick people and they'd get better. And so I'm like, you know, but as I got older, you just hear that stuff and you, you see such a lack of miracles. And then you just kept hearing, I just kept hearing over and over and over that it was like, we don't need this anymore because we have the Bible. And so to me, that's where I kind of made that exchange. I said, well, I have the Bible, so I don't need healing anymore. And, and I, I had a version of cessationism that was like, healing happens in Africa where they need it. I mean, just pure ignorance on my part. But so I, I heard this is a healing event. I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's bull hockey. I don't really believe in that. And they were like, well, your cousin got healed of cerebral palsy. And I was like, you can't fake that one. Like, that, this better be legit. And so I said, well, I'll bite. I'll come out there. So I got on an airplane, flew out to Omaha, Nebraska. I think it was on February 4th, um, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, and the reason why is my birthday's the 5th. And uh, so this, it was just a very, what, what happened at this thing was so significant for me. Because I show up, and sure enough, there's my cousin. And I mean, like, dude, she used to have like really twisted legs and all this other stuff. And like her legs had straightened out. She was kind of like walking like way better than she'd ever walked. And I'm like, okay, something, something's real here. So I, I get on stage, I'm doing, doing music and this room, first off, it's the most disgusting, dingy, nasty room you could have ever done a healing event in. Like there is nothing nice about this place. Like the carpet stained, uh, the ceiling was the drop ceiling with like pieces and chunks are missing. And I don't even know what that stain is. And what the heck is that? Is that puce? Like you just, you don't know, it was gross, man. Like nasty. it was a nasty room and the sound was bad. Oh. So I'm just in there just playing and I'm, but these people are alive and they're like exploding in worship. And I'm like, you know, this is, a, this is one little side note is like when you don't have the Holy Spirit, but you have a gift in something, you can actually use that gift to manipulate people. And so I used my gift in music to manipulate people all the time. I'd get them, I would want them to feel something. So I would play things a certain way 
to get them to feel. And so many times I've found even in churches, we still rely on that because the Holy Spirit's not there. Mm -hmm. And so we use worship leaders to get rooms to be a certain atmosphere so that the preacher is able to move more. And it's like, it's, it's a, it was something I was very good at and I was very good at manipulating rooms. I'm a showman at heart. That was, that was my thing. I just, I could do it. And uh, so I'm doing all this. I'm thinking that I'm manipulating the room. And, you know, I'm like, yeah. And then this, it's time for the preacher to come up. And I'm expecting some guy with a booming voice just to, he'll fire and brimstone. And I was waiting for all that. And this dweeby dude stands up, like this redheaded guy. And he just, he's standing there. He's like shrugging his shoulders and moving the microphone around. I'm like, this is freaking weirdo. Like, <laughs> and all of a sudden he just starts talking and he shares the full gospel. And like, I had never heard it before. Like I grew up in the church my whole life, but I had never heard that there was a God that loved me so much that he put on skin and he took my sin upon himself and died on a cross to conquer sin in my life. And he took it to the grave and he rose from the dead in the flesh and, and proved himself to be God and, and ascended into heaven and not just ascended into heaven so that I would one day join him, but went to heaven and spread his blood on the mercy seat in heaven to send the Holy Spirit to come live inside of me, which was God inside of me. And I was like, I've never heard this. Like he wants to live in me. And so I hear, I mean, I'm hearing this. something inside is like stirring. And again, he's not very charismatic in how he was talking. He's just saying stuff. And then he starts calling out sicknesses in the room. And at that point, that's where I kind of check out again. I'm like, this is, these are plants, this is fake, like none of this is real. And then in the middle of him doing all that, and I'm still playing keys, just kind of watching, he like turns to me and points at me and he says, play this one song. And he starts singing the song and it's like, this is my story, this is my song. I'm like, I've never played that in my life. And that's like, that's every musician's like worst nightmare. It's like <laughs> someone asks you to play something. You're like, oh, snap. I ain't never played this. I don't even know the words. I don't know the chord. I know nothing. Right. And I'm panicking. I can feel like my hands starting to get sweaty. But then all of a sudden, it was so bizarre. I'm standing there and I, and I am taken back like in a, in a vision, like a movie, where I'm sitting in front of a cassette player at the age of like six, seven years old, something like that. And I'm listening to a band called River play that song. And it's like a snap back into reality. And I knew all of the chords and I knew all the lyrics. And I'm like, and I just start playing it. I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, <laughs> you're like, and the whole, I'm like, this is my story. And I'm like, what is happening? And the whole room is exploding with the presence of God. And all of a sudden, nobody's touching me. Nobody's near me. Nobody's doing anything. I felt this bear hug from behind and um, it's like, I just, it was just this bear hug. And I felt this liquid love poured into me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Now you got to know, like when you're depressed and you're anxious and you're living an addiction, like you're looking for that feeling like in everything and anything like I would smoke cigarettes. I was looking at porn all the time, just trying to feel what I was feeling right there. And in the moment, I'm feeling from every part of my body, this love just pour into me. 
And, uh, and then in that moment, I, I hear my father's voice for the first time and he, and he speaks to me and he lets me know that he loves me and he tells me, I called you to be a worship leader. And it changes the whole trajectory of my life. Um, and I, I remember so distinctly, it was February 4th, because on February 5th, we stayed up until past midnight. Because I'm, here, here's, here's what I ended up feeling. I ended up feeling so drunk and inebriated. Now I'm a musician in Nashville. I know what drunk feels like. Like you drink and then you play music. And so like, but I'm drunk, drunk, drunk. And I, but yet I'm so aware and so alive. And I remember because I, the, the guys that were in my band, I was friends with them and one of them was my family member. He's like, let's go out, tomorrow's your birthday. And we stayed up past midnight and they're like, let's go to a bar, we'll get you your first legal drink. And I remember sitting at the bar and they gave me this like whiskey and it's sitting in front of me. And I'm like, I don't even need it. Like, I don't want it. I don't need it. I'm already drunk, you guys. Like, I don't know how to explain this to you. But like, I am so inebriated with the love of God right now. And um, it was like that for two weeks, man. Wow. I, I went to bed like that. I woke up like that. I went to bed like that. And I woke up like that. Wow. And that was my life. Um, and that's really what started the change. Yeah. Because I knew I could never go back. God became so real. And then I'd hear, I'd hear his voice about other people. I'd be sitting there and I, I would see with my eyes chains around people's necks and God's saying, go, go talk to that person and tell them that, that they can be free from those chains. I mean, yeah. it was just like, I'm just sitting there like, what is going on right now? And that, mm. and, and dude, I didn't know how to respond. So I started yeah. like growing my hair out <laughs> and wearing like knitted sweaters and linen pants and going around barefoot everywhere. What are you supposed to do? Like, I mean, I just <laughs> went from like, I went from like trying to be cool in music to like, <laughs> I don't give opposite. a flip. And I read about these guys that are nut jobs <laughs> in the Bible. And I'm like, yes, I'm one of them. And yeah. so I just knitted sweaters, wow. linen, linen, linen pants <laughs> yeah, and grew my funny. hair out shaggy. And I started going out and preaching to people. I'd huh. stand on the, so you had the wheel on the corner. I was so, I was so, dude, I walk up to people inside of services and I would touch them on the shoulder. I love you. And they'd be like, what is that? What is this dude talking about? But I was so right. captivated by love that mm -hmm. it was like, awesome. it, I didn't care. So that, that was, mm -hmm. that was really the beginning of the end. If okay. you will, like it was just, so before we proceed post yeah. Nashville, Talk, let's talk about your parents. What kind of relationship did you and you have with them? Yeah, that one's a, that one's a bit of a tougher yeah. uh, thing to kind of pin down because I think one of the things I'm really proud of our generation doing right now is that we are taking a step back and we're actually looking at our past and we're looking at things that we called normal and we're saying that's not normal. And we're allowing the Father's heart to reveal what, what we thought was okay that turned out to be abuse or was uh, manipulation. And what people don't understand is that whatever you, whatever, however your earthly father was or earthly mother was in some cases, if you didn't have a father, um, is that it, it will translate almost directly into who God is to you. Um, you'll see him as that. And so if your father was abusive, God's abusive. If your father was distant, God's distant. Um, if he was manipulative, God's manipulative. Um, so I, growing up, um, you know, I, I just so, so I clarify this, I have forgiven my parents. I love them. Like I, I, they did the best that they could with what they had. Um, and I, I grew up with some just instability and some things as a kid where looking back 
it wasn't okay that it had happened. It, you know, I'd have been, I'd been really hurt. Um, and, uh, uh, so with my parents, my relationship was just, it was odd. I was extremely dependent on them. Um, but at the same time, didn't want to get near them. And so it was just, it was kind of like this, like confusing relationship. And yeah. so, um, you know, I, I think when, when I was growing up, I, I, again, it's normal to me. This is normal. And so now looking back, you know, it, is my relationship perfect with them? No, there's been some things that they still have done as, as an adult that are pretty dang messed up that, you know, have happened to me. You know, I've, I've had, um, I've had situations that, that if I shared them right now, it would take a little bit more time to go through it, but, uh, it would, it, it would surprise some people. But hmm. at the end of the day, I, I, I say all that because, um, I, God really had to become my father. Like yeah. he really had to become that for me because so much of my relationship and connection with them had harmed the way that I was seeing God. Um, and again, I, I, I don't say that as like, you know, I can't believe they did this. It was more like they did the best with what they could. They both came from very difficult homes and in some cases abusive homes. And so that translated down into the relationship. Now they stopped some of that with them. And now it's my job to stop some of those things with me to, to not translate that to my children. But um, yeah. yeah, it was a very interesting relationship. So, so right now with you and your kids, yeah. how are you as a father? I mean, I like to think I'm good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll do this 20 years later. No, no, yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually, uh, so my wife and I, we're, we're, we're trying to break some of the stereotypes around being pastors and whatnot, but like we go to marriage counseling. So we actually sit down with a counselor and have them help us through marriage. And we, we, we don't have a perfect marriage. Our marriage was very like, it was like a tornado in the beginning. Like it yeah. was like, like, like passionate tornado. Like, <laughs> I love you. I love you. I mean, it was just very like, you know, we both, uh, and that's a whole different story, yeah, but we we'll both actually, yeah. So uh, what that translates into is that we got pregnant very early in our marriage. I mean, within a month of being married, we got pregnant. And so we're having to navigate a relationship with having children as well. But in counseling, one of the things he brought up, which I, it just, it hurt to hear it. But at the same time, you're like, oh, now I know why Jesus is so necessary. He said, um, it doesn't matter how good of a household you create for your children, they will inevitably come up with a father wound. Something's going to happen. There's going True. to be something in their heart where they're going to be sitting in your chair, working through some way that you have wounded them in, in some capacity. And I'm like, I wanted to be like, I rebuke you. Like, I, <laughs> did, I didn't want to believe that. But at the same time, that's true. That yeah. is going to happen. Why? Because that was the purpose of Jesus, is that Jesus came in and he revealed the father that I needed. And he came and repaired the things that were broken by my father. And it's, it's the same thing. My kids, have, they, they're going to have to go to Jesus and rely on him too. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my best to, re to represent him. But at the end of the day, like, I've hurt my kids. Like, I've done stupid things where I was like, man, I was really dumb. Like, why did I do that? Like, uh, one, one big thing I kind of regret was, like, in the earliest years of my kids, I worked a lot. Like, I, I, I worked a lot of hours. I barely saw my children. Um, and that's hard to say that out loud. And it wasn't always ministry. I worked a good job. Like most people don't realize this. Like I gave up like six figures to, to pursue this, like to do what God had asked me to do because I, I was good at what I did. I liked what I did. And, and, but, but the trade-off was I, 
I really had to sacrifice a lot of relationship with my kids that I wish I hadn't done. Yeah. Um, and so that was something that I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I've had to learn how to actually be present with my children when I'm off and not just keep trying to work, mm-hmm. um, regardless if I'm in ministry or doing something else. So Yeah. Okay. So back to your encounter mm-hmm. when you're playing keys for this really dingy room worship session. Yep. God changes your life. And you, do you go back to Nashville, I'm guessing? Yeah. Yeah. So how was now, how, now your trajectory has changed. God is first. So yeah. how is college now? Yeah. Um, it, and, and this is where, you know, I, I also want to break some stereotypes because a lot of times I've heard testimonies of men and women that I deeply respect. And I'm not going to name names right now, but that I deeply respect. And they share their testimonies. And it sounds like right after they got touched with the Holy Ghost, that everything was like perfectly fine after that, that it just switched right away for them. That, that isn't true though. As, as you learn from a lot of these men and women over time and some of their other testimonies, they would struggle or they would relapse or they would, you know, there would be other things that would happen, but we don't really talk about that piece. I'll talk about it. I mean, I got wrecked by the Holy Ghost and for two weeks I was drunk and then I started looking at porn again. So, I mean, but what was different was I had a conscience so it wasn't okay anymore. Like I knew it wasn't okay and I couldn't sustain life like this. And so something inside had been sharpened that had been dulled up until this point. And so that's, I think that's where like, for me, what started to change was I realized there was a life that I could live with relationship with God where I could read the scriptures and they actually came to life. They actually made sense now. Um, but yet at the same time, like, I knew that I knew that this other piece of me, this sinful side, it needed to die, and I knew it had also already been taken care of in Christ, but I, I just hadn't experienced that yet. And so I was, I just that kind of started the journey to seek freedom from that. But I, I finished the rest of my second year in Nashville. Um, I went and preached at my parents' summer camp over the summer, and I joke, but I'm. I feel like I was kind of the reason the summer camp actually closed after that is because I challenged um, my people. Well, here I'll say it like this because I always get these years mixed up. But like I started serving at their camp that year. It was the year after that that I went and I actually took their like teams out yeah. to go and pray for the sick. Well, this is a Lutheran camp, and oh. the people that were coming are very Lutheran. Yeah. So it started some fires that they. They were ticked that I was doing that. And they were ticked that I was asking them as leaders to do that. And so it was like, cool, we're going to ask our students to do this. You're going to do it. I was like, whatever. So, uh, but during that summertime, again, between second and third year, you know, I was prepping to go back to um, universities at Belmont University. I was ready to go back and I wanted to start a movement. I wanted to start, um, you know, a worship movement on campus and see where it went. But then I got a, a Facebook message from this pastor that I had worked with like a couple of times in Omaha, Nebraska, because my family's in Omaha, remember? So I'm, yeah. I'm there during the summer. And uh, I get a message from him. He says, I'm going to Colorado Springs to plant a church. Do you want to come with me? I was like, uh, I don't know. I was like, can I have like three days? I just want to pray and just see what happens. And so I asked to pray and I, I spent those three days praying within that time. Um, the door slammed in my face to go back to Belmont. I got a letter from them letting, letting me know that I had lost a massive grant 
Um, and it was, if I didn't pay X number of dollars, I can't remember how much it was, it was like seven grand or something like that. And for 21 year old kid, I'm like, I got seven grand. My parents definitely don't got seven grand. So this is not happening. So that closed really fast. Um, and then I asked the Lord to pay off all my debt. I didn't want to go out to Colorado Springs with any debt. And I transferred to uh, Colorado College, Colorado, Colorado Christian University Online. Okay. Uh, sorry, not Colorado College, Colorado <laughs> Christian University Online. And when I did that, they sent me a check for the exact dollar amount to almost to the penny for what I owed in debt in, in just my life. And so I get that check, it pays off my debt. I'm like, what is going on now? And I spent about eight months just serving underneath this, this pastor. His name is Myron, Myron Pierce. So I served under Myron Pierce. Um, and then I served under his mentor. And that guy, he, he's something else. He, his name is Kanos Manyara. Okay. And he's from Zimbabwe. And yeah. he is, he's a missionary to America. And he's like, whoo. I mean, that dude is fire. And I served underneath him in his little church. And that guy discipled me and like what it meant to walk with the Holy Ghost and what it meant to listen to the Holy Spirit and be attentive to his voice and move with power. All things that I was like, I'm brand new to this stuff. So I spent eight months serving underneath um, those two amazing men of God that have become really, they're they spiritual papas to me. Um, and then moved out to Colorado Springs and uh, originally came out here to plant a church with Myron where Myron is the senior pastor and I was the worship pastor. and. Hmm. So, yeah. Wow. And where does the guy, the guest speaker from the encounter? What, yeah. I forget his name. Myron. Oh, so that's uh, Myron. Myron. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's Myron. I was trying to remember his name. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You're good. You're good. Okay. Yeah. So you move out here yeah. to plant. Yeah. How was the first year experience? Uh, anybody? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was first off the eight months leading up to that, I started getting prophetic dreams and visions. And I had never had a prophetic dream in my life. Yeah. But I mean, I'm getting wild dreams of where God is speaking to me in dreams about like what he's going to do in Colorado. And I'm like, yo, this is nuts. So I was excited. Um, and when I came out, I mean, I didn't even know where I was going to live when I came. I was driving in my Camry and like, I mean, I have no place to stay wow. as far as I know. And so I'm driving in and when I was about halfway, uh, Myron reaches out to me and he tells me um, that he found a place for me to stay, a room for me to stay in. I'm gonna be staying with this this cat named Coryard. Okay. <laughs> and I'm gonna stay with Coryard, and I'm gonna, and I'm like, cool. I don't even know who this dude is, but I meet Corey, and he's like, what's up, man? How you doing? Man? I'm so excited. Have you? Are you going? Are you planting church? It's just, you know, Corey's just so eccentric, and and uh, again, I I don't know him from Adam. I don't I don't know Corey at all, and so I sleep in his room and you know, on, on, on one side and he's on the other and I'm just there for a couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, man, when I came out here, it was, it was crazy, dude. Yeah. Like God was, God was just moving in our church. We we're meeting out of two, two, five cafe downtown in Colorado Springs and just meeting with like 30 people. And I was using their upright piano and Myron was sitting in the front, like with a, a table and that was it. That's how we started. And it was just, we just, I was playing on the piano and then, and then we met, the, my drummer, I met him at Guitar Center and invited him to come. And so he came and he was playing drums while I'm on the piano. And it was, it was crazy, man. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, we did that for a while. And then um, I think where things really started to pick up for me um, when I was planting the church out here was I saw videos of this guy named Todd White. Okay. 
and Todd's laying hands on sick people in the streets and they're getting healed and I'm watching it happen. Like no, no trickery, like this is occurring. And I recognize something familiar about it because of what I had experienced, you know, about a year prior um, where I had seen the minister pray for the sick and they get healed. And I was like, this guy's not doing it in a church, he's doing it on the streets. And I looked at him and like, again, just in my, in myself, I'm like, man, if that guy can do it, <laughs> I can definitely pray for the sick on the right, streets. And right. so, um, so that I went to Myron and said, let's go pray for the sick on the streets. And so we started praying for the sick and bro, we could be here for a long time talking about the testimonies of people getting healed, like healed, healed, like wow. miraculous strength, guys with like 40 caliber bullets that have been shot through their heads. They got metal plates and the, got a metal plate in his head ringing in his ears for the last nine years has to drown it out with white noise and God heals him right there in an alleyway and the ringing has stopped. You can't fake that junk. You can't think yourself out of it. You can't do the mind tricks to not feel that. And watching a girl who couldn't turn her head because she had injured it and, and, and praying for her neck and getting full mobility back and being able to move her head, watching a kid who had never heard the gospel before uh, 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 and, and was so closed off to hearing it, God healing his lower back and extending his leg um, significantly due to an injury and he actually gets healed and then hearing the gospel and being open to it because God demonstrated his power. I mean, we watched so much of this happen and uh, it was it was magnificent. I met my wife during that time. That's when I met her, um, was was going out in the streets and dude, we would get like, we would be we'd be sitting in a room praying ahead of time, asking God where to go and he'd give us a location, a name, and like the color of a shirt and the style of the shirt. And we'd go out and we'd find that person at the location that we heard with the same name, with the same color shirt and the same style. I mean, it was, it was fun, dude. Like, wow. But this is where God really started to use us as a church to see people saved. Uh, because that was the other thing that, that, that got my attention. I was like, I can get on board with this because I've tried to lead a lot of people to Jesus over the years. And I probably saw like one person saved in 15 years of talking to people about Jesus. But I'm laying hands on the sick. They're getting better and they're just surrendering right there. And I saw that and I went, I'm seeing dozens of people say yes to this gospel simply because the love of God is penetrating darkness and healing people. I can get on board with that. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about Hannah. <clears throat> yeah. Hannah is the wife. So where'd you guys She's meet? Awesome. Yeah, dude, that one, again, just nutty. But uh, she actually met Myron before she met me. Uh, Myron was at a gay pride fest, actually, up in uh, Denver, just loving on people and uh, prophetically ministering to people. And uh, my wife, <clears throat> she followed this guy for a while named Doug Addison. And Doug would go out in the streets and he'd, he'd take people's tattoos. And he would allow the Holy Spirit to speak about what the tattoos were and he would prophetically minister to them um, via tattoos. And people were like, how the f did you know that? And like, and God would just speak to him about people and who they were using their tattoos. So my wife was going out and doing this and she was praying for people and ministering via their tattoos. And so Myron meets her and uh, is like, you're really cool and find out that she's from the Springs. And so he's like, yo, you gotta come to Passion. It's called Passion City Church. And you gotta come to Passion and you gotta, we go out in the streets, we go, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And she's like, I'll come on Wednesday. And so I'm at the coffee shop and this is the day uh, on Wednesday. This is D Myron's day off. So I'm the one that leads the street ministry, the street team. And so I'm sitting in the coffee shop and 
Uh, Hannah's at the counter. She's like, I'm looking for a Myron, a Myron, a Myron. And I'm like, Myron's not here. It's me. I'm leading it today. And bro, like my wife looked at me, Hannah looked at me and she was like, okay. And I was like, all right. Like, and so I, we went down into the offices at the church uh, or at 225 Cafe and and uh, she grilled me for 30 minutes what? about what I believed and, you know, if I believed in healing or, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, who the frick is this chick right now? Like, I'm the one leading the group. Who right. is this? Like, right. like, you came here. Like, I'm not interviewing you. Like, or I'm not, you know, whatever. I was like, back off. She was intense. Um, but in hindsight, she's like, you got you to gotta do it. You just, you don't know where people are at. Like some True. people act like they're all about healing, but they're going out there and they're not about healing. No. And it's like, okay, <laughs> all right. But, um, so that was one where we all prayed and we were doing the, this treasure hunting, you know, which is where you ask the Lord for locations and names and, and stuff like that. And so we asked the Lord and he told us Walmart, told us there would be a, a woman there and that she would have a, a yellow, yellow, yellow turtleneck sweater. Okay. I'm like, it's very specific. And so... Uh, it's Hannah, my my friend, her friend, and myself, and so we all go out to Walmart off Eighth Street, and uh, man, we're walking down the aisle. Less than two minutes, showing up to Walmart. There she is, right there, yellow turtleneck sweater, woman standing right there in the aisle. So Hannah and I are like, let's go pray. And so we go over and we we introduce ourselves. We tell her what God showed us. We show her the note where we wrote it down, and the Lord starts. Um, using Hannah right there, um, and the and the woman starts manifesting a demon in the middle of Walmart, and Hannah, st- I was standing off to the side just going, so I'm like, I can't praise God. All of a sudden, Hannah starts screaming the word fire, fire, and the lady is like, she's falling out, man. This is happening in the middle of Walmart, and I'm hearing fire, and I'm thinking to myself. Oh crap! They're gonna pull the sprinklers. Yeah, <laughs> this is not. You don't yell fire in the middle of a. Right. Uh, so I'm telling. I'm looking at her. I'm like, like stop. Like they're gonna turn on the sprinklers, and she, she's not getting it. She's just screaming fire, and so I'm like, oh my god. So now I'm like, just watching out for any Walmart associates, right. and um, this lady gets delivered, radically touched. All you know, beautiful moment with Jesus right there. And so I'm talking to Hannah afterwards, and I'm. <laughs> And I tell her, I'm like, hey, you can't be yelling fire like that in the middle of a, of a Walmart. I was trying to tell you they're going to turn the sprinklers on. She goes, oh, that's what you were doing. She goes, I thought that was some like weird Holy Spirit manifestation. They're like, yeah, Holy God. I'm like, no, like, this is the Holy Spirit. She's the weirdest woman I'd ever met. I'm like, she's so weird, but you're so cool. And so I was like. You know, I, just, I got her number, but I she'll claim that it was because I liked her. I genuinely was just like, I, she's somebody I'd hang out with. She's somebody right. I'd go and get food with. But fast forward four days later, um, we've been talking a little bit, and and uh, I'm like, all right, she's cool, she's cool. But I just got out of a really not good relationship, and I was like, I don't really want anything right now. Um, and uh, we find out that there's this conference up in Castle Rock at The Rock, and uh, this prophet's coming out there named Bob Hazlitt. And we want to go. And so I'm like, okay, yeah. So I, I put it together and I'm, I'm going to take my truck up. I take my friend with me who helped me plant Passion City. And then Hannah's going to come and, and then Hannah's friend. And so um, so we're all in the truck. She's in the back. I'm driving and it's stop and go traffic on I-25. And uh, the presence of God is so thick 
in my truck. I'm like, yo, this meeting is going to be fire. Like, God's going to show up. He's already moving in the car. I'm like, yeah. And all of a sudden, I look in the rearview mirror, and I make eye contact with Hannah, and I hear that same voice that spoke to me when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is your wife. And I was like, I looked away. I was like, oh, hell no. Like, I was like, nope, 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 nope. This didn't happen. Right. And she looks away real quick, and I know she heard something. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, no, 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 no. So I'm just driving up there, and uh, my friends know something's up. They're like, what's going on? And I'm like, I can't even talk to you about this right now. Like, this is not, this is not the place. And we get up there, and it was so weird, man. We couldn't even stand next to each other because we would feel like bolts of lightning go through our, like our sides, whichever side was closest to the other. I'm like, this is trippy. I don't like this. Like I, I want nothing. I'm, I'm hallucinating. Something's happening here. So we go sit down in the sanctuary and she's all flustered. She goes, I got to go to the bathroom. I was like, great, go. And I was, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I'm going to pretend like this didn't happen. I'm just going to enjoy this conference. God's good. And all of a sudden that voice shows up again and he goes, get up, go out into the lobby and verbalize to her what I just told you. <laughs> I was like, first off, I don't talk like that. So like, <laughs> that's something else. Right. And uh, it was enough that it made me sit up in my seat. Like I was like, it like, it was borderline audible. And so I get up, I go into the lobby. Cause at that point you're just like, I just better obey. Yeah. Cause like, there's a fear of the Lord when he speaks. Like it just, there's yeah. something about it when he says something, you're like, Ooh, all right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not fear of, I'm going to be punished. It's just a awe. There's an awe when he speaks. And so I just, I, I was in awe. So I go out there. Little did I know she's in the bathroom and I find this out afterwards. She's in the bathroom. She's freaking out, splashing her face with water because she just heard in the truck, this is your husband. And she's like, Hell no. Like, this is not happening. We're not doing this. Absolutely not. Um, you know, and, and forgive me if, if people get offended at saying hell, but I was like, that's, that's like, that that's was real life, boys. man. That's what we were saying. We we're like, it was real. Yeah. Um, and then we're, uh, she's splashing her face and she, uh, she the, the Lord speaks to her and says, uh, leave the bathroom. When you leave the bathroom, Nick's going to be standing there. You need to listen to what he has to tell you. And so she opens up the bathroom door and like a creeper, I'm standing right there outside the women's bathroom. I'm like, hey, and I was like, we got to talk. And uh, I said, let's go sit down. And so we sat down in the lobby at the rock and um, I looked at her and I said, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm your husband and you're my wife. And she said, I know. And it was like, dude, it was like heaven opened up and we were like, we just got inundated with the presence of God. I mean, I don't think I didn't sit through one ounce of that conference. We were out outside just like pacing and freaking out that God had just told us who our spouse was, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so that that's how I, that's how I met Hannah. Um, and uh, we got married pretty quick after that, about four months after that. I don't recommend that <laughs> to people, even if you hear God say this is your spouse. Yeah, because there's still a lot of collision that occurs when you bring two lives together. Mm -hmm. And if anybody has met Hannah and myself, we are both firebrands and we are both very strong-willed people. Um, and that has made for some interesting interactions. Um, and so because of that, 
you know, we've, we've had to work extra hard at our marriage. A lot of people think that if God just tells you who your spouse is, that it's all going to work out. And I'm like, that's, that's not how it works. There's still a, a humility and a melding and a, right. and, and a coming together of one, of two people becoming one. So I've heard the stories from you two, not from you, from Ian Cornish. Yeah. And how you, because he stayed with you guys for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Ian lived with us. Ian, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ian Cornish. So now he's, now he's, our pa he's one of our pastors. He's our new believer pastor. He's awesome. So <laughs> I've heard the story. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. understand. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, he saw I me. Mean, he saw behind the scenes. He saw the stuff where it's like, and that's where we figured it's just better to be real about it than try to put on a show. Because I don't have a show. I have yeah. nothing. I have Jesus. That's it. Mm -hmm. and, and like, if that doesn't work for you, we're probably not going to be able to do life together because I'm, I'm not perfect and I won't be. I never will be. And thank God, because if I, I was suddenly able to be perfect, then you should put, be putting your faith in me. But like, I don't want you to put your faith in me because like, I'm just a person who's figuring this out and I'm walking with Jesus and he's called me to something, but that doesn't mean I got it all figured out. And so like, you know, I was like one of the big things in our marriage was, was me working through pornography. Because even though I was done, I wasn't done. And so like, I had to work through that healing of like betrayal towards her and like, and like actually seek healing. And, you know, I remember one day she looked at me and it was like, this is it. Like she looked at me, she said, if this doesn't get changed, we're done. And I'm like, whoa, that's a big thing. And she, she said this phrase to me, I will never forget it. She goes, you love porn more than you love Jesus. That's a, that's a strong statement. And I was like, you're full of it. So I thought, I was like, you're full of it. But as I thought about it, I was like, if I'm going to be real with myself, she's right. I do. I don't want to give this up. I like it. Like that. And, and that's hard to say that out loud because like you're taught in Christianity to hate that so much. But at the same time, I wasn't fooling myself when Jesus met me. I mean, I was in my mess and accepting it. I mean, I but yet somehow when I became a Christian, it's like I stopped accepting my mess and acting like it wasn't there. But it was like, it was like she said that and I was like, oh, it's game time. Cause like, if that's getting in the way of my love for Jesus, then I'm doing it wrong. Yes. And, and I remember if, if I may just a, a right, quick no, ahead, detour, cause I think this affects so many, mm -hmm. so many people is pornography has just got such a grip. And I get it. Like, I really get it. Like it's a grip, bro. Like it's, and and oftentimes porn is is rooted in some other wounding almost like 99.999 percent of the time there is some other wounding that you are trying to medicate for so for me and i'll, I'll get there for a second but, no, but what happened what happened was is i i had been looking for how to get free and and I, I came across john bevere and john was sharing his testimony about how he got free and what stood out to me about it, John had two scenarios that he shares. Well, the first one was he went to somebody to lay hands on him. And he said, I believe biblically, if you lay hands on me, I'll be delivered. And this very prominent international preacher said, okay, and laid hands on him and nothing changed. Seven months later, uh, John goes up into the mountains and takes out a cabin and stays there for four days fasting and gets free. And so John's like, God, why did that work? But the other thing didn't work. They're both biblical. Why did one work and the other? He said, when you came to the preacher to get set free, you wanted to be free so that you didn't lose your ministry and you didn't lose your wife. It was for selfish motivation. He said, when you went to the cabin, you did it for me. You did it because you love me, John. 
And I heard that and I was like, I have to be okay with the fact that I could still lose my wife at the end of this. I have to be okay with it. I have to be okay with the fact that I'm not doing this for her. I'm not doing this for my kids. I'm not doing this for anybody else. I love Jesus and it's getting in the way of intimacy with him and it's harming that connection. And so I, I literally got down on my knees in, um, in my living room and I said, I'm not leaving this floor until you set me free from this. And I meant it. I meant it. Like I wasn't kidding. But the motivation behind it wasn't to keep everything. It was to let go and to die. And I said, I'm not leaving this floor. I'll stay here all night. I don't care. And I prayed and nothing was really happening. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I don't care if it's days of me having to stay like this. I will do it. I will not eat. I will not drink. I will just stay here. And uh, dude, all of a sudden the presence of God shows up in my living room. And it was really intense because I saw from the time that I was praying all the way to my past, all of the women I had lusted after, all of the women I had seen in pornography, all the women that I had used um, for my own gratification, and I saw all of them. I mean, it was, it was like the weight of the world on my shoulders, and I was like crumbling underneath this and just hitting the floor, just weeping, like feeling the weight of my sin. And all of a sudden it just stops. And I'm, again, six, seven years old. And I can feel what I was feeling as a kid. And I could feel the desire to be held by my mom, that I just wanted her affection. Just hold me, mom. Like, just love me. And, and part of my story is that my mom, when I was very young, was very hard. Um, and she was the disciplinarian. And when, you know, and again, without going into like crazy amounts of detail, it was like she, she was very harsh with how she punished, very harsh. And so the person that was supposed to comfort me and hold me and love me was abusing me in some ways. And so it split my brain as a kid. And I'm longing for this desire to be fulfilled through my mom. And it's not being fulfilled. And so I make an agreement in that moment, I'm gonna find it elsewhere. And so I go and I find it in porn. Even just the slightest feeling of being wanted and the affection and being loved. I felt it and I said, well, I'm gonna keep doing this. And, and I saw that and I heard the Lord say, he said, you have to forgive your mom. Now, up until this point, I had no beef with my mom. So I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's the first thought. That's the conscious thought. But then the unconscious thought kicked out of my mouth and I said, no. I was like, what is going on? And I'm, sit and I'm sitting there and, and I realize I don't want to forgive her. She hurt me. And I was like, that's it. That's the root. That's the root issue. This is where all of the rot is coming from. And it was in that moment that I... I finally, I was like, I cried out. I said, God, um, I forgive my mom. I let her go. I relinquish her to you, Jesus. I don't hold on to this. This isn't mine anymore. And, uh, 
dude, I got up and I felt like I'd been hit by a train. And, but I knew something had shifted in my heart. And the other piece of that was I realized I could no longer go another day without spending time with Jesus. That I couldn't do this, spend time with him one day and live off that for a week. I needed, to, I needed daily bread. And so I got up the next morning, I had a book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God, and I read one chapter every morning, and then I read, anytime you mentioned a scripture verse, I went to it. And I did that for however long. And it started me on this path of where I was walking in genuine freedom, where did I still deal with the temptation to go back? Sure. But it was like nowhere near that. The guys that are addicted to pornography know what I'm talking about. It almost grips you like it almost overwhelms you to the point of where like you almost just shut off and you just go look at it and so that didn't that wasn't happening anymore there was there was something that was happening where the lord is actually healing that and uh and and yeah and so that that started that journey of just being like free from it and actually away from it to where the wounding could be healed and the connection with my wife could be rebuilt and mm-hmm. and all those things but that was such a big piece of yeah just just my story and what God started doing in my heart. Because yeah. um, it was very early in the church. It was within the first couple months of the church that that was happening. And so it was like, God was kind of like, hey, you keep going down this path. You're going to build something. And then I'm going to take it away from you because you're going to have built it and avoided me and never gotten healing for it. Mm-hmm. But now that there's healing from it, it there's like a trust that I have with him that yeah. we're going to be all right. So before we proceed to the next section, I just want you to pray. For the sure. people in that same air, struggling with the same addiction that yeah. you did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Father, just I just thank you right now that um, I first off, I just I thank you that every single person who's currently dealing with that addiction, that um, I thank you that the core desire, the core longing, not the desire for porn, but the core longing is legit. And that it is something that you put inside of them to be fulfilled by you, Father. And Father, I just pray right now that by the Holy Spirit, wherever that lie came in, wherever the exchange occurred, I pray it be exposed right now for what it is in the mighty name of Jesus. And I thank you, Father, that the blood of Jesus is enough, that the name of Jesus is enough, that the cross is enough, and that I'm proof of this. And so, Father, I just, I pray right now that every person who is struggling with pornography right now, God, would you just reveal the heart area where things are not okay? And I pray that there would just be a, a, a vulnerability for those that are struggling to just be okay with the fact that they're not okay there and to welcome you into that space to be healed. That they wouldn't try to change this because, you know, it's not, they're not Christian enough or they wouldn't try to change this because it would disappoint their pastor. But instead, they would want to see this change because it's hindering intimacy with the one who died for them. And so God, I just, I release right now by the power of the Holy Spirit for every person right now listening to this, that you begin to move them from addiction to freedom in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So thank you for that prayer. And now let's get back to your story. How long did Passion City go on before you started the Jesus Church? Yeah, um, so Passion City, I think I spent in total, counting the time like in Nebraska that you prep beforehand, probably about two years. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just some, 
sucky circumstances, some immaturity on my part. Um, I ended up, you know, stepping away from that, and I went into, you know, I went to go work at a Fortune 40 company and started doing all that stuff. And then uh, I was super miserable because, again, so much of my life was tied to still. This was still there. Was tied to what I do. So that was something the Lord was really trying to break inside of me. And I kept crying out for, you know, give me, give me full-time ministry, God. I just want full-time ministry. That's all I want. I'll be happy if I have that. Um, and uh, it's funny. The scriptures are pretty clear on this. It says that whatever you ask in his name, he'll give it to you. Yeah. And so he gave it to me. He literally told me, he said, uh, Myron's going to call you. And at the time, we had passed off Passion City Church to another pastor. And Myron had gone back to Omaha, Nebraska. And um, he said, Myron's going to call. He's going to offer you a job. Went, well, sweet. And so two weeks later, Myron called me um, and uh, offered me a job. He offered me to come out and be a worship coordinator for a, a ministry out in Omaha, Nebraska. I was like, perfect, done. You know, and I just, I just bought my house out here. And I told my wife, who's pregnant, we're going to move to Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, we're going to rent out this, be you know, this beautiful house we just got. We're going to rent it out. Um, oh, by the way, you know, my wife, was, we already had Lily at the time, and Lily was a home birth. Um, and I said, by the way, we're moving to Omaha, Nebraska, where home birth is illegal. So you're going to have to have her, have to have our son in the hospital. <laughs> so, yeah, just really mature moment for me. Right. Very mature, <laughs> super solid, great husbandry. Um, and so I moved my family out to Nebraska, and bro, uh, it was the most brutal seven months of my life. Most brutal. Um, that is where the Lord truly broke me and brought me to a place of yieldedness and surrender and uh, woke me up, if you will, to my insanity of thinking that somehow ministry was going to fix me. And um, see, so after seven months, uh, they were going through some financial stuff as a church. Um, they basically put me down to almost nothing for pay. I couldn't, I couldn't survive off of it. And they gave me the option to, to move back to Colorado Springs and they'd pay my way. And I was like, well, that's a no brainer for me. And uh, what's, all, what's funny, and I don't, I don't talk about this a ton with people, but like three days before they let me go or kind of reduced me down to like unlivable wages, um, the Lord told me to leave the church. And I was fine, like I was good, but he said, leave the church. And uh, I didn't know what that meant, I didn't understand that. So it's, God will always give you a heads up um, when things are about to go down and when people are like, oh, it just came out of the blue. I'm like, normally it didn't come out of the blue. You just, you just didn't, you weren't listening. You weren't listening to the checks. You weren't listening to those little, that little ping that said something's not right. And so, yeah, for me it was like, it was very clear something's gonna happen. So I, I, you know, sure enough, it happens three days later. Long story short, we moved back to Colorado Springs. My, the company I was working for graciously hired me back. Now, I, I was a terrible employee when they had, <laughs> I mean, terrible. And so they had a lot of stipulations I needed to meet if I was gonna work for them. Yeah. And uh, I was so dead at that point, like in a good way, that I was like, that's fine. That's totally understandable. And so I went back and I worked there and uh, 
it was probably one of the coolest experiences too because they would come to me and they'd be like, Nick, what happened to you in Nebraska? You are so different. And I was like, dang, Jesus really did this. He really did a work. And so I, you know, I, I worked there for a while, um, had some cool things happen. I got promoted, um, got promoted again and um, just was trucking along. And then um, <laughs> my wife and I were trying to find a, we're trying to find a church to plug into in Colorado Springs. And, you know, we both have just been wrecked by Jesus. And we're like, we want a place that honors the Holy Spirit. We want a place that, you know, loves Jesus, preaches the gospel. Um, but we were struggling to find that. And we'd find a church, everything's really good. Woo, things are great. And then they'd start preaching like universalism, like hardcore. And I'm like, uh, I can't, I can't stay here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then we, we basically just kept trying to find a church. I finally found one other church and I was, they were preaching the gospel. I was like, oh my gosh, massive church out here. Mm -hmm. I was so excited, you know, and I was like, oh man, they're preaching the gospel. Things are alive. They're real. I can get plugged in here. And uh, all of a sudden the Lord started talking to me and telling me that I needed to plant a church. And I was like, no, I've done it twice. I'm not doing it again. Right. I'm out. And it was like, you need to plant a church and you're going to call it the Jesus Church. I was like, that's a dumb name. It's hokey. I know, it's right? ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's kind of presumptuous. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, I don't. I don't like it. <laughs> Can I call it like Ro Rocky Mountain Revival or right. something? And Nope. It's going to be called the Jesus Church. You need to tell people who you're about. And I just kept thinking to myself, I'm like, this is maybe like 10 years down the road. Because I had just gotten out of like a string of planting churches and I was tired. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do anything with that. I just wanted to be in a church. Um, and dude, like all of a sudden, like we're at this one church. I'm super excited. I'm like, cool. This is a church I'm going to plug into for years. And the pastor gets up and bro, like from the stage, he literally goes, I'm so excited to preach with all you. You know, I just got done finishing all these commentaries, you know, and I don't remember how he transitioned this, but all of a sudden he just shouts, the apostles are dead. The prophets are dead. There's only the evangelists, the teachers and the pastors. And I was like, well, <laughs> I came out of this junk. This is the junk I was in. This is cessationism. Right. This is what it is. I'm out. And so I've never left a church service in my life, ever, all my whole life. I picked up all my things and I walked out. I was like, and I looked at my wife and she's laughing because she's like, she's outside. She heard him say it. Right. And she's laughing. And I was like, we have to plant. We don't have an option. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's not that there aren't any churches out here. It's not that there's any, you know, you know, good people out here. I just, I think there's something that's burning inside my generation and the generation after me that's like, can we just make it about Jesus? Can we stop mixing in politics? Can we stop being fake? Can we stop pretending to be one way on Sunday and another way behind the scenes and justifying it because we're leadership? Can we, can we actually just preach the gospel on Sundays rather than try to find a, a, a self-help uh, thing that we're going to teach someone to be better at whatever they do. Like that's garbage. Like I, I can learn that anywhere. And that's part of why I struggled with my faith in the beginning. Cause I'd hear that stuff and I'd be like, bro, they teach this in Buddhism. This is no different. Like 
my new age friends teach this, that if I take this crystal and rub it a few times, I can get what you're describing. That's what you're like. You're describing the exact same things that everybody else is. What makes you different? And so that's where like the Jesus church was birthed was this idea of like, what if we just preach Jesus? And then I had this like crazy idea. I was like, I'm willing to bet that if we preach Jesus and we stay on the gospel, he'll show up. There's I don't no got to do a bunch of rah-rah. Right. I don't got to do a bunch of anything to get him to come. If I just talk about his son, he'll show up in the room. That was it. And it was from that place that we started a church. We started in our house and we moved to another house. It's actually really close to over here. Um, started in another house and then uh, the Lord said, get a building. I said, why? There's 12 of us in this room. This makes no sense. Go get a building. You need to speak the language of your culture. And I was like, oh, and house church was a big thing at the time. And everybody's like, it's got to be house church. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I don't think it has to be anything, but I'm willing to bite. And he says, get, to, get a building. And I'm like, oh boy. And so we, my wife and I put up the first six months of rent for a building, um, opened up a, we, we rented from another friend of mine who was a pastor, met on Sunday nights. We went from 12 people to five. Um, it shrunk. It was awful. And I was doing the worship and preaching. Ooh, it was bad. It was brutal, man. And mm -hmm. and I finally got to a point where I was about to break. And then God would just send one person or two people or whatever. And then there's this one guy. Hey, I've been here coming for a while. I'll do worship for you. Great. Never heard him play in my life. I didn't care at that point. I was like, <laughs> anything's play. better. Yeah. <laughs> anything's better than this. And uh, it happened to be the week that I was gone. And so he, uh, he played and I saw a video afterwards. I was like, oh, thank God, he can actually play. He can actually <laughs> sing. And it just started kind of rolling from there. We started doing life with people, um, really real people, man. A lot of them were, had been hurt by the church or were unchurched or de-churched. Um, and some were like fresh off the streets, bro. Like they were like, like a couple years saved. And they were like former addicts and they're like, they're on fire for Jesus. And I'm like, cool. And so we just kept going and things kept growing and things were like, we we're kind of going the conventional route. We we're starting to see a lot of church growth. And this is where, you know, you usually just like floor it as a pastor. Right. So I'm getting ready to floor it. We're getting into the prisons. We're getting into the homeless shelter. Everything's going well. And then COVID and COVID shut it all down. And so it became, it was like, oh no. And so for a season there, we really like it changed, it changed us as a church and really caused us to be real again with ourselves. What are we doing this for? Why are we here? And that's, you know, we met in my house for about seven more months and then moved into another building um, at the end of 2020. And then since then, it was like the Lord's just been pricking our heart to like do not just programs, but build family. And so then our church has really become like family and we're actually doing life with each other and we're actually getting into the nitty gritty and it's healthy and it's good. And we're starting to see fruit from that. The Lord told us to do these um, encounter Jesus revivals. And I'm like, I don't have a context for this. I don't even know what this means. Like we mean a revival. Like, so I called a revivalist, the guy that led me to Jesus. And, right. and I said, would you want to come out to Colorado Springs? And yeah, there was another ministry in town that had invited one of his friends. And, and so we combined forces and did an encounter Jesus. Dude, like 40 people got baptized at it. I was, I was like, what is happening? And we baptized people. And again, I have no context for this. We would put people under the water and they'd come out and they'd go limp. And I'm like, 
what is happening right now? <laughs> like, or they come in and they start shaking and manifesting a demon. And we'd be casting a demon out in the middle of a baptismal and then we'd dunk them underneath and they'd come out and they'd get filled with the Holy Ghost and they're up, 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 up. I'm like, wow, I don't, and I don't have a context. I don't have any idea what's happening. But I kept seeing fruit and so I'm like, all right. And it was, it was in those types of events and you know, doing Jesus groups and, and meeting in our homes. And, and, uh, and then on Sundays when we get together, man, it's just a celebration of Jesus. We just make it about Him. Like, I, and I tell everybody who's there, I don't care what capacity they're serving in, do it for Jesus. Don't do it for anything else. We are not here to do church. I am so sick of doing it. I'm so sick of the production. I just want Him. Is there value in having like good cameras or good sound? Sure, absolutely. Why not? But like, don't make it about that. And that's what we've kind of done. We've timed church. We've made it this 30 minute, just in your face moment. We've made it about all like the, you know, I, dude, I remember the conversations where I'd be a worship pastor and they'd be like, all right, Nick, we need two upbeat songs, one medium song and one low song. And I'm like, <laughs> like, it felt like a show. It was right. just so dumb. I tell my worship leaders, you do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll text me sometimes, Nick, we only have one song. Great, let's do it. And we'll do the one song. It'll last 45 minutes and you'll think it was like 10 minutes. But it was 45 minutes, just bliss with Jesus as he's, dude, we've had like, we, we feel like there, there's been times where there's like, it feels like a river is running in the front of the church and people just come up there and they're just getting hit with the Holy Ghost and getting set free. Man, I've seen, there are witches that have come to my church, have been delivered from witchcraft, completely set free, walking with the Lord in freedom. We have watched people with like severe issues get healed. And it's like, and it's every stinking Sunday. Like, it's like every Sunday we're getting together, this stuff is happening. Every Sunday we're coming together, people are repenting and turning away from old ways and coming to Jesus. And it's like, we're watching this happen and it's it's all about Jesus. And I, I just... Man, we're just, and, and the trade-off has been this. Could I grow a giant church tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I, I know the formulas. I know how to make it work. It, it is possible, you can do it. But would I rather have God build his church? Because it's his, not mine. And God forbid, and this has happened multiple times in our city, where I've, I've watched a live stream where a pastor spent the entire time and again, big church, if I mention, y'all would know who it is, but like it's a big church and they're talking about how it's time for another growth in the church because they got this many butts in the seats and so they need to push to the next level. And so everybody needs to invite their friends. And then they talked about, here's the percentage of you that give to this percentage of the budget. If you wanna be in this percentage of givers, you need to give this much to get to this next percentage. On a freaking Sunday, bro. Wow. And it, it's like blatant. And then, uh, and then COVID also was really intense about this too, but I'm watching preachers get up there and they're, they're all politics, 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 politics. And I'm like, bro, you are going to miss this next generation because they could care less. They don't care. And the second you start bringing politics into the church, that smarmy feeling comes back and they go, I don't want any part of this. And, and it makes sense. They want a heavenly kingdom. Be about who you were saying you're about don't try to manipulate it with other types of power and authority. Actually be about the power and authority of the kingdom of God that was made manifest through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Wow. And so that's where, that's where like, man, we've yeah. just been really intentional with it. And I've had people come in that were like, you need to change this. You need to do this. You need to do that to make it more attractive. <laughs> and I, again, I've had those conversations, but at the end of the day, I'm like, 
I'm not trying to make the church more attractive so that we'll just steal sheep from each other. I'll kind of, I'll kind of say it like this. I was talking with Myron and we were talking about somebody who's, again, very significant pastor in the city. And Myron had gone to him and said, how, how do I plant my church? And this guy's like, I'll show you how to plant it. I'll tell you how to do it. And he's, he's built a massive church. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you how to do it. And Myron's sitting there. He's excited. He's guys, no, let's, let's go. And the guy says, okay, here's how you plant your church. You go down to First Presbyterian and you get as many of their members as you can. What? Bro, that, that right there, as, as shocking as that sounds to us right now, that's a norm. Wow. That's a norm in the body of Christ. We sheep shuffle. We grow because we're the next cool fad. We're the next cool thing. Yeah. These guys, bro, I went, to their, I went to their Sunday service and they got... You know, we would never admit it, but it's like they got LED panels and they got lasers and they got, you know, the music was popping and wow. the message was five minutes so I could actually pay attention, you know, because it's, it's about me. It's about me. And it's right. like, when did we make the trade right. for popularity and sheep shuffling from a, a place where a family could come together right. and encounter the living God and see Jesus move mightily in a group of misfits and people who are imperfect, but are in pursuit of Jesus. And so it, we've just, we've stayed on this man and it's cost us a lot. It's cost us the big, the big crowds. It has cost us the, uh, the fame and the popularity. It's kept us in secret and in quiet where we've had to work out hard things, man. I mean, I've had to work out some hard things with people, um, but it's kept us in that place and it's almost protected us to where Jesus, it, it's just becoming more and more pure. We're just, and, and again, I say stuff like that and people go like, that's how cults start. Yeah, that is how cults start. <laughs> when you make it about the person who's leading right. the group, uh -huh. when you make it about them and their doctrines and their understanding. But the beauty is, is that the Jesus church isn't based off of me. Like it's not, like I could leave tomorrow and yeah, I'm sure it would hurt the church. But like at the end of the day, we're developing and creating a family and a culture, a family and a culture of, of the pursuit of Jesus together where it's not about me standing up there on a Sunday. I'm, I'm content giving Ian the microphone and letting him preach. I'm okay with Michael Sweat getting up there and him preaching a sermon. I'm okay with Sarah Bernard or, or my wife getting up there and preaching a sermon. It doesn't gotta be about me. This is about the Lord. This is about Jesus. And, if we're, and the day that we get off of that is the day that I'll shut the doors to the church because I don't want any part of it. Amen. So, Thank you. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, Absolutely. Thank you, by the way, for this yeah. whole time. Thank you. I had a blast, this, man. This has been a great interview with great laughs. Good. <laughs> off camera and on camera. Yeah. Praise God. I'm right. all about it. So let's do life, man. So. Right. So remember, we all have a story. What's your story? Goodbye. <laughs>